have this kind of caricature of the gift of singleness as basically a superpower. There are these strange few people who have the superpower, the gift of singleness, and they never get lonely. They never experience sexual temptation because they have the gift of singleness. And that, of course, means you've got married people with a good gift, the small number of single people with a gift, and a whole load of miserable single people who are single without the gift of singleness, which just isn't what the Bible says and doesn't really chime with what our God is like. When the Bible says that singleness is a gift and it says marriage is a gift, it is the reality of being a single that is gift. The state of being single that is a gift. If you are single right now, you are experiencing the gift of singleness. If you're married right now, you're experiencing the gift of marriage. It's not about special empowerment. It's about the reality itself. And so you can't be single and not have the gift of singleness because being single is the gift. And it's really important we realize that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says you've got one of two gifts, marriage or singleness. None of us are, in a sense, left out. And so we said that's the biblical vision, this beautiful vision of singleness as a good thing. The reality is in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says singleness is better than marriage. Go and read it. He does. Does that chime with messages you've heard in churches and in Christian circles? I think, unfortunately, the church has taken a few missteps uh, when it comes to, to singleness. I want to show some slides, actually. I'm going to get up because I realize I'm totally in the way. Uh, but, yeah, I've, I've heard some unhelpful messages um, in, in churches, unfortunately. So uh, I don't know who's come across the True Love Waits um, movement. Now, um, this is all about sort of saving yourself for marriage, not having sex before marriage, which is good. You know, we should, um, we should do that. We should not have sex before we're married. But I think the problem with this messaging is that it, it assumes that you're going to get married. It assumes that love and sex are the same thing. And it, it sort of makes the point of being sexually pure that when you get married, you're going to have great sex. Um, so it, it doesn't take a very high view of singleness. Um, another thing that I've, I, I came across was there's all sorts of sort of Christian memes and things on um, on social media. Here's another one: a season of singleness gives us the opportunity to refresh and engage the Lord. So it talks about a season of singleness as if it's a bit of a, a bit of time out from real life uh, before you know have a bit of a rest, you know, have a weekend of singleness, and then you can get back to the real life of marriage and kids. Um, here's another one, six sacrifices in singleness that will benefit you later in marriage. It, you know, we don't sort of honor singleness as a good thing for itself, in itself, maybe for life. Um, this is my particular favorite. <laughs> Notice the change in color, the fact that it's really black and it's a, a miserable looking woman. Um, and the language is all about how to cope with long-term singleness. It doesn't talk about flourishing and thriving. It doesn't talk about single people as a blessing to the church, but it's how to cope with it, as if it's a disease or something like that. So, uh, yeah, these are just some of the unhelpful messages that I think, you know, we can sometimes um, put across as Christians in churches. I'll sit down again now. Any, any of you, Jeanette, any messages? Well, about the marriage, going to the wedding... Now, I have a, oh, yes. a, yes, I have, I have a tip for you, all right, because it's happened to me, and this is how I've dealt with it. You know when you're in a small church and everyone gets invited to the wedding kind of thing? This would happen quite a bit. Most churches don't have pews now, but this was in the days of pews. And what used to happen to me is that at some point in the wedding, usually just before the vows are made, an elderly person would slide up to me and elbow me and go, you'll be next, all right? Now, that happened several times. So the next time there was a church funeral, all right, (laughs) 
I slid up to the elderly woman. You'll be next. <laughs> and it stopped. I, I no longer had the I'll be next marriage. It's the way to do it, folks. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and so we've got the Bible saying singleness is good, often the message in church is not being that. I think we've also got to wrestle with the sad reality that even though this is a good gift, that's not always how it's experienced. Sometimes our experience of singleness is very difficult, and so it's not just the messages that don't match up with the Bible, but also our experience. And so singleness is a good gift, and yet can be kind of experienced more as a curse, maybe, even than a good gift, or, and sometimes you use the language of an unwanted gift. Is that right? How do you talk about it? Yeah, um, so <laughs> I think, yeah, we talk about marriage and singleness as a gift, but, but often singleness is, is a little bit the gift no one wants, isn't it? I want to show you a picture of the gift that actually that, that nobody wants. This was given to my, my housemate, um, and it's, <laughs> it's a ceramic cat money box handbag. I mean, it who wouldn't stunning. want one of them? <laughs> I um, want that gift. Do you? Yeah. Mate, it's yours. <laughs> She's about as girly as me, and we just looked at this thing and thought, what the actual heck? There's a factory somewhere making these things. Um, but anyway, we often treat singleness as if it's like a, a cat handbag, don't we? Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> and why do you think that is? The Bible says this is a good gift, so why is it that often that's not actually people's experience? I guess both why and what do we do about that? How do we experience it as the good gift it is? But I think the norm, it's all very well as speaking in here, but walking outside, societal expectation is you can't live as, as alone there has to be an other the other half <laughs> you know I don't like it when people say oh this is my other half it's like I get what they're saying but actually God has made us whole in ourselves we are made in the image of God um, but also in church you know I said to uh, on Sunday uh, at my own church, I said, oh, I'm going to New Day to speak on the gift of singleness. And these two, both married friends, went, oh, dear. You know, it was like, oh, you poor thing to have to try and up the singleness. So the whole attitude is that you cannot, you cannot be single and happy. In, in the church, outside mm. the church, you have to have an other because I need people to make me feel good. Yeah, I think the fact that we've sort of idolised romance, so we've made a false dichotomy between, you know, you're, you're married or in a romantic sexual relationship over here, or you're single and miserable and alone. And actually, those aren't the two options, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think the church and we as Christians have a really good opportunity here to model what real friendship and commitment to one another and community looks like. Because um, I'm single, I'm 46. Um, I've shared a house with my friend for the last... Uh, 15 years I think she's basically like my adopted sister um you know so we we get a lot of um you know it's a close friendship it's not an exclusive friendship we're not a couple we're not in a relationship but we are sisters in Christ who get to share things you know we get to um when I come in from from work you know she, she can say oh did you have a good day what you know that kind of thing we're not called um, singleness isn't a calling to isolation and, and, and to loneliness. Um, and I think whether we're married or single, we need good friendship, we need Christian community. Um, 
And actually, a lot of people in the world out there, our non-Christian friends, are desperately lonely, desperately isolated. They're looking for a sexual relationship, but actually what is going to be fulfilling and life-giving for them is community and really deep friendship, intergenerational friendships. You know, I've, I've got adopted grannies, a bit older than you, mate, so it's all right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've got, yeah, I've got children in my life and older people and, you know, lots of friends who, um, uh, from different backgrounds to me different countries and that's something wonderful that you don't find anywhere apart from in church I don't think yeah which is kind of a, a call to us isn't it to be the kind of church that God calls us to be where there's radical friendship we're living as the family we're meant to be and I'll just echo all that yeah I, I find the funny situation of I, I enjoy being single life and it is a good gift that God has given me my life is relationally rich and people kind of project upon me this misery. There are really sweet people in my church. I mean, they're incredibly sweet and it's incredibly well-meaning. But they kind of will come up to me on Sunday and say, you know, we're praying for you. We know it must be so tough. And their assumption is because I'm single and celibate, I'm miserable and lonely. And therefore, they kind of project this onto me. And it's really kind they're praying for me. But I kind of want to say that's not what my life is. My life is relationally rich. It's exactly the same. Friends who I deeply love and deeply love me. People I share life with. I eat with multiple times a week. Children whose lives I'm involved in. And actually, I look at my life, and to be honest, I think in many ways it's more relationally rich than many of my married friends because singleness gives me the freedom actually to develop more deep friendships, be involved in more different families across my church life. And so it's just kind of doing the practical things, which mean that the God-given good needs we've got for love, for intimacy, for connection get met. We don't need romance and sex for those. It's that intimacy, because nowadays intimacy equals sexual activity doesn't it and and what we're longing for is intimacy but we'll palm it off with sexual activity for a while a night a week or whatever but it ultimately doesn't fulfill because intimacy and sexual activity are entirely different so we need to look for intimate friendships that will fulfill and especially like-minded in christ you know, there's this glorious encouraging one another in the Lord and sh- therefore sharing a, a great depth um, because we are united in Christ. Um, so, yeah, people, people take the second best of sexual activity, but actually what they're wanting is good intimacy. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's unpack that a bit more and kind of talk about sex. We've said that the Bible's teaching is we are either married to someone of the opposite sex, and that's a context in which to have sex, or actually if we're single, that means being said, but means seeking to live a life without sex and faithfulness to Jesus. That raises lots of questions for people. Is celibacy possible? Is it safe? Is that really a, a thing in a sense? Let's talk a bit around what it like to be a single person and seeking to live in celibacy. Mm, yeah, well, I, obviously I walked out of a relationship in order to... so. I know what it is to share a life with an other, to be intimate with another, everything, to be essentially married to another. And walking away, it was hard. it, It was hard to be celibate from having engaged fully for several years. That was really hard. And, um, and that's why it says, do not awaken love before the time. That's why sex outside of marriage is so damaging. Because the two become one. So you are giving away part of yourself. And then when you stop, you have left 
part of yourself elsewhere. And um, it was hard for several years, I have to say, um, walking away from all of that. So basically don't get into it because it's incredibly hard to walk out of it. Yeah, I mean, I've got a similar experience to you, Jeanette. You know, I've had a few lesbian relationships since... Well, mine was since I became a Christian. Um, and it is, you know, it is painful to, to leave those behind. The, you know, I think we need to be honest. You know, singleness is difficult and painful sometimes. So is marriage. Um, I think we need to be very honest about that because sometimes we, we do the Hollywood dream thing, you know, Christian marriage. Oh, lovely, lovely. You know, I know a lot of Christians in really miserable marriages. It's, uh, it's not the answer to all our intimacy and relational needs. So I'd like to just say that. Um, but also I think that what I, what I experienced when I was in sexual relationships it, it just didn't meet all my relational needs because it's, n- it's never designed to even a marriage isn't supposed to meet all your relational needs our first and foremost our, our need for intimacy is met in Christ if we don't have that and if we're putting somebody else in his place that is always going to end up in disaster um, we're, we're made for intimacy with Christ and we're made for intimacy with a whole lot of you know, other people in, in family, in community um, and so that's why I think the church is so important for both married and single people um, and I've certainly experienced um, you know I've, I've, I've been in relationships which I've enjoyed I've had things that I, I wanted you know that companionship and all that kind of thing but I, I have to say that you know when I'm doing singleness well um, I just have a richer deeper life I have I have the intimacy that I need and and I'm not idolizing another person I'm not putting her in God's place um, and I, I enjoy a richer depth of relationship with God that to be honest I wouldn't trade for anything else yeah, I've, I mean, I, I wear a wedding band, and, and it happened when I got um, baptised, you know, full immersion, uh, six months after my conversion. And in those days, you wore white dresses, and really heavy, heavy, heavy white cotton dresses, and which I wasn't into frocks at all <laughs> at that time. And um, I put it on, and there was a sense of getting married to Christ in my baptism and um, I bought a wedding ring and what it helps me is what are my thoughts are my thoughts adulterous to Jesus are they committed to Christ is he the primary person in my life do I go to him first before anyone so this wedding band You see, we are betrothed. It will be a wedding feast. We'll all be married ultimately to the one true love. Um, which if you were here yesterday, we were saying it's what actually the Bible says sex and marriage are all about. The whole point is sex and marriage are pictures of a greater reality, the greater reality being Christ and the church. And so Jeanette's experience there was an experience of that, a point into that. And it's testimony of actually sex doesn't meet our deepest needs. It's because it's not meant to. It's meant to be a signpost to the relationship that truly can our relationship with Christ. And that modeling of sex and marriage being this picture of what Christ and the church and that relationship is like, that's the reason, the, the why behind all the do's and don'ts that God gives in the Bible about sex and relationships. And I'll just add, as I think about kind of singleness and celibacy, as a, a single guy who's celibate and never had sex, I just find Jesus so helpful and encouraging. Jesus is the example to me of a guy who lives his whole life 
single, celibate, never has sex, and yet he's not unfulfilled, he's not, not a real man, he's not, not a real adult. He reminds me that well, the world might tell me you need sex to be fulfilled, or the world might tell me you're not really growing up, Andrew, because you're not having sex. As I look at Jesus, I think, well, that's what true humanity looks like. That's how I want to live my life. That is an encouragement to me. Even if I never have sex before I die, it's so my intention. Actually, no, that's a good way of, of living life. Yeah. And, and the fact that he, in all of that, says, I offer life, life in abundance. Well, he has to have it in order to offer it. And, um, you know, John 10.10, you've got this classic thing of, who are you focusing on and who are you listening to? He says, you know, the devil just comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come to give life, life in abundance. And if you think of Adam and Eve, they had everything. They had each other, marriage. They had a perfect garden. They had full communion with God. Now, when Satan came in the, in the guise of a, a snake... He did not go, wow, this is awesome. You two are beautiful. Look around everything. He pointed to the one thing God denied them, which was eating from a particular tree. Satan will always put your focus on the one thing you can't have. He will never look at the big picture and go, wow, this is incredible. So Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus, single, celibate, says, I have abundant life, and that abundant life is for you. And it's who, who are you focusing on, and what voice are you listening to? Mm. Amen, amen. Can we say a big thank you to Jeanne for all that input here? We're going to take a quick pause to kind of chew over this, some of us, some of this uh, digestion with this. We've got a discussion question that's going to come up just in twos or threes. Take a moment to think, what do you think of the idea of lifelong singleness? What do you think about it? How does what we said help you think about that? Think about your questions as well, and we'll do Q&A just afterwards. Conversations you can continue later, well into the afternoon as well. We've just managed to get onto Slido. Thanks for submitting your questions. We're going to look at some of those in just a moment. Before we get to Q&A, let me recommend to you two resources. Maybe you want to think more about this, explore more and more about biblical teaching, how we can live this out as individuals and churches. One resource is this book by our friend Sam Aubrey. It's called Seven Myths About Singleness. A really fantastic book does what it says in the tin. It discusses seven myths, seven things Christians wrongly often believe about singleness, both looking at the Bible and the practical side. Really easy read. Sam's a great guy. Tells some of his story in there as well. That's in the bookshop just down there for only eight quid this week. And also, if you head to livingout.org, which is the website of the charity that all three of us are involved in, you will find uh, animations, talks, podcasts, book reviews, articles, all kinds of things on all topics related to sexuality, gender identity, and singleness. In fact, there's a whole singleness section, so you can hear more from us, more about that topic there. But we're going to go to a few of your questions. First up, I'm going to ask, um, this one says, thanks for the encouragement about uplifting singleness. Do you struggle with envy when seeing couples? It depends what they're doing. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if, I tell you one thing I used to find very difficult was like bank holiday Mondays. 
and walking along the promenade and the families were together and I was by myself. So I found Bank Holiday Mondays really difficult. And it's like, well, either I just walk along envying (laughs) or I do something about it. But of course, at that point, you're looking at them all having fun. I've been in a house when they've been arguing. You know, because, because the friendship's so deep, they don't have to be ten to be liking each other at that precise moment. Uh, and I've been in the same room as screaming and yelling and, and everything else. Do I envy that moment? No, I don't. I'm, I'm just kind of slightly embarrassed I'm even in the same room. So it depends. You know, if, if they're all loved... Like the Bank Holiday Mondays, it emphasised my singleness when there was multi-generations having fun walking along the seafront and everything. So it's situational. Mm. Yeah, it, it's similar for me, I think. Um, the, and it's, it's been different throughout, throughout my life as well. There are times where I just really enjoy my singleness and I, I feel quite sort of smug about it, really. I'm, you know, my friends are sort of like changing nappies and wiping snot off kids and stuff. And I just think, ha, I can go to the pub, see you later. <laughs> But um, but there are times where you know I've I've really sort of grieved the fact that I'm never going to have children. Um, yeah, that that you know when you see when you see romantic relationships working well, sometimes it is easy to envy. But I'm I'm really glad that I've got really good married friends who are open about their marriage. And you know, the more I learn about marriage, the more I realise that, that it it often is really, really hard. And I've got friends who've been you know, married to people that they don't even get on with anymore for years and years, and that's so hard. You know, I've got people married to... Um, their spouse has got long-term crippling illness. You know, I think we need to be more realistic about marriage, especially in our Christian cultures, because um, it, it isn't this Hollywood dream. Um, often it's incredibly hard. Often it's much harder than singleness in some ways. Um, you know, so I think that's a really good an- an- um, antidote to envy. And again, that comes from living in real Christian community where you share lives and you're vulnerable with each other. Yes. Maybe it's helpful to think about how we handle envy well, whether about someone who's in a couple or in general. So if I was envious of a couple, I think I want to do two things. One is I want to kind of ask myself, well, why am I envious of this? Because chances are that behind my envy is a good desire. I desire to be loved. I desire to be known. I desire to experience intimacy. And that good desire is getting wrongly expressed in envy about what they are experiencing. I feel like I'm not. But actually, I can acknowledge this is a, God, a good God-given desire underneath. Okay, in what ways in my life has God given me to feel love, to connect, to experience intimacy, whatever it might be. So I'm not only going to say, I must push this down, this is awful. I'm going to acknowledge it, repent of it if it's sinful envy, but say actually, well, why am I feeling that? What has God provided me with? And then also I'm going to ask actually, how do I, or what are the good gifts and blessings that God has given me? The great antidote to envy actually is to focus on all the blessings of God to us rather than the things we feel like we're missing out on. So there are two things practically I'd want to do in my own heart and my own mind in that situation of feeling envious of a couple. Here's a great question. How do your non-Christian friends respond to your decision to live a celibate lifestyle? And maybe I'll add on to that more broadly, kind of how do we talk to people who aren't followers of Jesus about our choice to be single and celibate? I've struggled with depression since the age of 10. And um, it's, it's cyclic and, and, and all of that. And, and I just take medication to keep me normal. Um, and um, I, I remember at one particular low point, 
my doctor just said, why don't you find a woman and be happy? And, and that, that, that was his solution to my depression, even though I'd had it it's cyclic and, and, and chemical and all kinds of things. But it was, it was that sense of, you know, um, none of my family are, are believers, and they'll just say, oh, we liked Helen. Why didn't you stay with Helen? You know, and, 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 and all of this. And, and so it drags you back, or can drag you back. And, and like you, you said, Andrew, it's the goodness of God within. I was reading Psalm 27 this morning, and it's all about even though the enemies come to attack, even though I'm siege, it's a siege, even though they attack me, I am confident, said David. And that is like, that's it, isn't it? We are slings and arrows at us. And yet, we are confident in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, similarly, I've got a non-Christian family and, um, you know, lots of non-Christian friends. And I quite like the fact that they think my life's really odd. (laughs) I'm a bit of an evangelist at heart and I love sharing Jesus. And um, my life gives me the opportunity to share Jesus because people think it's weird, you know. Um, And and I think as well, you know, I like being a bit provocative. And, you know, if if Jesus is better than sex, then, you know, maybe he's worth checking out. Um, So, yeah, I find that... um, People, it, my lifestyle invites questions, and that enables me to then get into the gospel. Because actually, it's not about—it's not about sexual ethics. It's uh, the the way I live my life, the, the way I sort of choose to live relationally and sexually is is because of everything I believe about God, His purposes for my life, His kingdom, the new creation. That's the context. And so, actually, when people talk about, you know, ask me oh, you're never going to have sex again, or, you know, why aren't you sleeping with your housemate and all this sort of stuff. It's a great opportunity to, to, talk, to say, well, let me tell you what I believe about life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> you know, let me introduce you to this guy, Jesus, who is better than sex, quite frankly. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of like, like the opportunities that it gives me. Embrace the weirdness. Indeed. I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do a quick answer to the top voter question, which is how do you, how did you become gay? How do people, uh, why is it that some people are gay, I guess is that question. I saw some great graffiti on the toilet wall once, actually, uh, that said, uh, my mum made me a lesbian, and then underneath somebody put, if I buy the wool, will she make me one too? <laughs> yeah, I've got that card. <laughs> <laughs> Was it you that wrote it on the toilet? Um, I think um, there's, there's been lots of speculation about sort of causes of, of homosexuality. Um, you might have heard of the nature-nurture debate. So, um, you know, there are some people who think that it's a genetic thing, that there's a gay gene. That hasn't been proven. There are no sort of reliable scientific studies that would show that. Um, other people think it's environmental factors and your upbringing. I think it's, it's probably a mixture of both, but we can't definitively say why some people are attracted to the same sex and others aren't. Um, I think from my perspective, it, it, it doesn't really matter. I don't really need to know why I'm gay. Um, I, I, from my perspective, you know, we are living in a, in a world where there are all sorts of things that aren't as they should be. You know, we live with the legacy of, of the fall. You know, Jeanette was talking about that initial rebellion. We're living in a world that's post that, so we are all living in rebellion against God. And, and you know, lots of things in our world aren't as they were originally created and should be. So... 
and in fact, I made the point yesterday, all our sexualities are broken, whether we're gay, we're straight, you know, whether we've never had sex, whether we've, you know, had lots of sex with lots of people. You know, we, none of us are perfectly pure in our sexualities. There's only one person who's been like that, and that is Jesus. Um, so in, in a way, we're all in the same boat. I don't think... Mm. I, I think we need to be careful as well that, you know, being gay is not a separate worst thing or anything like that. We... We are all sexual sinners in our thoughts and, you know, in things that we do. Um, but wonderfully, the gospel is good news for all of us, that there is forgiveness and, you know, freedom in Christ. Amen. Yeah, you, you looked... <laughs> no, great. Amen. Thank you so much. That's so great, guys. We've got five minutes left. Don't rush off. At the end of each of these seminars, we're just going to take a five-minute pause. We've heard lots of stuff. We're wrestling with big questions. For lots of us in different ways, these big topics we'll talk about will be really personal. We just want to have a moment of pause to allow God to work in our hearts, to speak to us, just to help us to process more of what we've heard. So can I encourage you, keeping really quiet, you can talk all afternoon, but keep really quiet right now. Let's just stand up and begin to set our hearts, or bring our hearts before God, engage with him. And we're just going to basically pause and invite the Holy Spirit. And he might want to come and highlight to you something that's being said. He might want to highlight to you something you've been believing that maybe isn't quite in line with uh, what his word says. He might want to come and comfort you and encourage you. He might have a bit of a challenge for you. We're just going to see for each one of us as individuals what God wants to do. So you might want to close your eyes. You might want to put out your hands just as we're saying, God, I'm now looking to you and receiving from you. And let me pray and I'll pause and just let the Spirit do his work. And then I'll close things by praying as well. Spirit of God, we just invite you now, would you come to each one of us individually? We've heard so much, we're thinking about big things, this is real life for all of us in different ways. Would you come right now and would you minister to our hearts? Would you come and speak truth to our hearts? Come and highlight things that have been said. Highlight things that we think or we believe. Highlight things you want us to knowing experience. Let's just pause for a moment, a bit of quiet. Let the Spirit speak to each one of us. For some of us right now, God's just, God, it's like he's tearing off our hearts, chains of lies that have bound us. Lies about us or lies about other people. Lies about him sometimes. Lord, we pray, come and destroy lies in our hearts and our minds. Come and let truth settle. Maybe we've believed total lies about singleness. Or maybe actually the fact that we're single or someone we love is single has caused us to believe lies about God, that God isn't good. God's being cruel. God's being mean. Or that God says this about same-sex relationships, God's cruel, God's mean. Right now, the Spirit of God is going to break those lies off and the goodness of God is going to be ministered to our hearts. Father God, come and reveal your goodness. Let us see it in our own lives. Let us recognize it in the lives of other people. Let us see it ultimately in the sending of your Son for us, which decisively proves you are good. Lord, will we go from here as people who trust you, go from here is people who say the word of God says this therefore I trust it's true and I'm going to seek to do that out in my life help others to do that help people to thrive and flourish within that help us we pray above all to see yes the goodness of singleness but above all Lord God to see your goodness spirit be ministering to that heart that to our hearts right now in this moment as we go from this place as we go through the rest of today and all this week will bring be working to us this wonderful truth that you are good Everything you do is good. Everything you give us is good. You are good to us. Come, we pray. Keep working in us, we ask. Spirit of God. Amen.